You're listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast focused on Germany, the United States, and the transatlantic relationship. Join us as we discuss economics, politics, security, and more. I'm Jeff Rafke, president of the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. Well, I'd like to welcome all of our listeners to this episode of The Zeitgeist, and I would uh, like especially to welcome Professor Christina Arendt. Um, uh, Christina, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you. Um, and uh, Christina is a professor of health economics at the University of Applied Sciences in Cologne, and she has been a uh, regular contributor to AICGS analysis on healthcare topics, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic. So it's mm -hmm. great to have the opportunity to talk with you again. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe if I could start just by asking if you could describe briefly the German healthcare system for people who might not be familiar with it. Yeah, of course. Um, so in Germany, we have a mandatory health insurance. So everybody has to take out health insurance. Um, but 90% of the population um, is insured with uh, social health insurance. And 10% of the population can choose to opt out of this public uh, system, which is financed by income-related contributions and opt for private health insurance. Uh, which is risk-rated and the funded system. But if you can choose or not, you have to have health insurance. Okay. Okay. But the majority of people, the vast majority are yeah. covered by the public um, health yeah. uh, health system. Yeah. And maybe one other general uh, question, because we've, we've been living through a pandemic for the last three years, uh, and it has changed, certainly in the United States, the nature of of public mm. discussion um, mm. of public health issues. Mm. Um, do you do you observe a similar um, uh, phenomenon in Germany? Has has the nature of public discussion of health issues changed since the pandemic? Yeah, maybe we moved away from system-wide discussions. Um, like we have uh, on a regular basis, we have discussed if we can uh, have this dual system with private health insurance and social health insurance. And if this isn't unfair um, that some people can choose private insurance, et cetera, um, we have that on a regular basis uh, every four years when we have general elections, we have this discussion. And uh, now after the pandemic, I have um, the impression that we have more a problem-oriented discussion like um, we discuss over topics um, or problems that have been highlighted um, during the pandemic, like our hospital sector and the under-digitization um, of our health system, which has uh, posed some problems um, during the pandemic because we didn't have uh, the data um, for targeted measures, we didn't have data for prevention, etc. And um, I have the impression that now we are talking more about the problems um, of the system uh, or some problems within the system rather than uh, those big discussion, um, should we change the system from a, this dual system to a holistic one? Interesting. Yeah. So so the pandemic has made the, the, the focus, uh, much more focused uh, yeah. uh, attention. More targeted. Yeah, yeah. problem-solving, <laughs> rather. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, now, from what I understand, um, in Germany, 
infectious disease experts have have basically indicated that the pandemic is uh, is over. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and and so a lot of the mandates, whether it is for isolation or for mask wearing in public uh, settings, those those things have come to an end. Mm. Um, in your view, does this mean COVID is over in Germany? Um, and and does the public trust uh, in the government and in the public health sector uh, remain? Has it been strengthened? What's what is that situation from your? Uh, yeah, <clears throat> I don't know if it's uh, the trust in government or rather, I don't know, a habituation effect. Um, COVID has become more of an everyday risk to people. And uh, if you look at uh, the surveys, um, the pandemic is uh, essentially over for the majority of the population. Um, in a recent uh, survey conducted by YouGov, I think over 70% um, uh, fully or somewhat agreed that the end of those mask and test obligation was the right thing to do. And um, I found interesting that uh, over 50% said that they would take precautionary measures on their own responsibility, like taking a test before seeing elderly people or vulnerable people, um, or they would isolate themselves if they had a positive test. So it's more their own responsibility now and it's like yeah more more everyday common risk that you take mm -hmm, mm -hmm. on carnival for example <laughs> like here in cologne <laughs> right well yes you're at the epicenter of, yeah. uh, of carnival <laughs> right. uh in germany yeah. and uh, i yeah. happened to be in germany last week and uh, got some kind of first-hand view uh oh, of cool. this as well yeah. uh and of course you have masses of of people uh, uh gathering in some cases indoors in other cases outdoors yeah. um yeah. do you is there any initial data on spread of uh yeah, yeah, yeah. infection have, as a yeah, result yeah. of these yeah yeah we have in 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 the carnival strongholds and especially here in cologne you have seen uh, numbers rising of course not only uh, covid but also other respiratory infections but we are far from being overwhelmed um, in hospitals or elsewhere in the healthcare system. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And the mortality infections. Mm -hmm. And the mortality rate remains low. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, we have seen um, some excess mortality, uh, especially at the end uh, of last year. Um, but uh, the COVID numbers um, were not exceedingly high at the time. So it's more. I think it was more the flu season here in Germany, um, which had an early onset this year and was quite strong. So we have seen excess mortality at the end of last year. And now it's going down again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, that that brings me around to your your current work and research uh, mm. focus, which yeah. which, if I understand, is is long term care financing. Can, yeah. can you can you say a little bit about uh, about what you're focused on and, and how that relates to uh, health in Germany? Yeah, at the moment, um, we have quite a discussion about our long-term care system. And uh, I gather that uh, Americans <laughs> do not know exactly how our system works. So maybe I can uh, say some words about the system. Um, it's also 
a divided system like health insurance, 90% um, are uh, in social insurance, it's uh, long term in long term care, and 10% in uh, private long term care insurance. Um, we have introduced long term care insurance in the 1990s as a last social insurance scheme. Um, we have pension scheme, um, healthcare scheme, and uh, long term care was the last to be introduced. And um, it is a partial benefit insurance. Um, that is the plan was when it was introduced that the actual nursing costs that you incur in outpatient and in inpatient elderly care uh, would be financed by the insurance. But um, if you are in need of inpatient elderly care, uh, you'd, you would have to pay the investment costs of um, nursing care homes and uh, accommodation and catering. So from the beginning, the idea was it's only a partial benefit insurance and not all costs are covered. Um, and uh, if you uh, receive long-term care, it's uh, um, paid in lump sum benefits. And the problem was that um, for a long time, these uh, lump sums haven't been adjusted to um, rising um, long-term costs. Um, so that the co-payment or the out-of-pocket payment that you have to pay have been on the rise. And uh, especially in the last five years, we have an ongoing discussion if um, those out-of-pocket payments that you have to pay when, especially when you um, are in a nursing care home, if uh, these co-payments or out-of-pocket payments are too high. So we have a considerable political debate and um, the actual reform debate is to say, okay, we reduce those out-of-pocket payments uh, in nursing care homes, but at the expense of um, the long-term care insurance. Mm -hmm. the the problem is that we have financed this uh, social long-term care insurance as a pay-as-you-go system. Yeah, the, the private part is a funded system, but this is a pay-as-you-go system. So if you expand benefits and reduce co-payments, then it is at the expense of the younger generations who have to finance that. And younger generations are already burdened in other uh, social insurance schemes like pension and health insurance and with the baby boomers um, coming near to retirement, um, which is a, a big generation and the following smaller generations have to pay uh, for all those rising costs. And uh, that is why my research focus is at the moment, um, how can we adjust the social insurance schemes um, to the demographic change that we will witness very in a very short time when uh, those uh, big baby boomer uh, generations move into retirement and we automatically have less contributions to the social insurance schemes, less taxes because the baby boomers pay also less mm -hmm. taxes on their on their um, retirement income. And at the same time, we have rising costs in all our um, pay-as-you-go schemes. Yeah. And so the focus is how can we change that? And is it a good idea to expand benefits now, especially in long-term care? Um, or can we um, adjust to this demographic change in a way that we don't burden automatically always the younger generations? 
Well, at the heart of what you've just been describing is the demographic change in Germany. Yes. So maybe yes. it's uh, good to dwell on that for yeah. for a minute. Um, the the picture is one of an aging um, society. Maybe, maybe if you can put that in a in maybe in a comparative context for mm. maybe some of uh, Germany's European partners, or yeah. in comparison to the United States, what what is that that dynamic of uh, of demographic change? Uh, look like how significant is that going to affect not just healthcare but the broader social welfare system? Yeah, um, we are one of the oldest population uh, worldwide, and uh, in Europe we are the second oldest after Italy. And um, yeah, it will affect uh, all our society, not only our um, social insurance schemes. Um, there we will see. Uh, the problem that I, the financing problems that I uh, described, but um, we are also dependent on, um, yeah, being attractive for foreign uh, employees, uh, which we try to attract because we um, will have less employees, we will have less people who can work, and um, so as a system, as a country, we need to stay attractive, and um, the problem is if like now is planned in long-term care, if you always increase um, contributions that people have to pay, um, you increase the tax burden, you are not very attractive uh, to people who can choose between going to uh, the US or going to the UK um, where, where they don't have the language problem. Um, to give you an idea, when it comes to tax burden and burden with contributions, we already have uh, the highest share in Europe after Belgium. So um, a, a um, big share of your income goes uh, into the social um, insurance schemes and in taxes. And mm -hmm. that is why we cannot continue just, um, yeah, uh, trying to solve the financing problems by um, increasing contributions. Right, right. Um, so, but this dilemma, um, yeah. uh, maybe maybe you're not uh, at the conclusion uh, of, of recommending uh, the way out, but um, what do you see as mm. the innovative measures that uh, that Germany can uh, can experiment with? Because as you said, you know, Germany on the one hand has, uh, the challenge of of attracting skilled workers, yeah, um, and and has begun some changes, for example, to the immigration system um, mm. that would uh, that would try to improve that situation. Um, but it's it's a fundamental problem. Yeah, it's also a fundamental problem because uh, we need the infrastructure for all those people that we need. And we already have uh, problems with our general infrastructure, with housing, uh, with uh, school uh, schools uh, who do not have enough uh, place for all those people that we need here. Um, when it comes to long-term care, and um, because we started there, and the dilemma that we see there that we have high um, co-payments or out-of-pocket payments in the system. The thing is that we already have a system in place that helps people who cannot afford those out-of-pocket payments. Um, if you look at uh, nursing care res home residents, um, around 30% who cannot pay those out-of-pocket payments are um, assisted by social assistance. We pay 
uh, the out-of-pocket payments for people who cannot afford them. Mm-hmm. And um, so you already have a social system assistance in place. And um, the thing is that they, um, in politics, um, they want to change the system and say, okay, we reduce co-payments for everybody at the expense of long-term care insurance. Whereas I would say, why don't we stay with this means-tested system that we have? Because 70% of um, um, uh, the care residents um, can afford to pay those co-payments. And if Mm -hmm. you reduce them for everybody, you reduce them at the expense of people who are less wealthy, have less income, but have to pay uh, this reduction by their contributions. And it's um, problematic when you uh, look at um, the yeah the pay-as-you-go system because you burden younger generation, but it's also problematic from a social political point of view because uh, you have a redistribution from less wealthy people to wealthy people who can pay the co-payments. That is why I find it um, critical to... Um, yeah, to move away from from uh, this reform that only burdens uh, the contribution payers. Yeah. Um, now, uh, you know, we've we've also talked in the past, I think, in a webinar that we've we've uh, where you were a guest uh, about the the problem of of medical personnel um, mm. in Germany as well. Yeah. And and here you also see two sides of this. On the one hand, there is a shortage of medical personnel as you have an aging society with greater demand for the kinds of services that that you study Uh, at the same time uh, there is a bit of uh, a backlash brewing among some of the the countries in europe that are the principal providers of medical personnel which Mm. are uh, are finding their countries abandoned by skilled workers who are going to higher wage countries like germany uh, where they can be better compensated um so uh, how uh, how does uh, how does this personnel situation look uh now um and and what kind of progress is is germany making Mm. yeah when when it comes uh, to um, hospital staff, if you look at the international comparison, um, hospital staff density, that is um, personnel uh, relative to the population, um, we um, are above average if you compare them to European countries. Um, our problem is more, um, maybe we'll talk about that later, that um, the personnel that we have in the inpatient sector is distributed among many hospitals. Um, that is, uh, on the one hand, if you look at, at the hospital personnel. Um, we have um, more of a problem uh, when you look at long-term care because um yeah, we have uh, tried to attract foreign um, workers uh, for long-term care. Um, yeah, this hasn't been much of a success. Maybe it's um, because um, the responsibilities are different here in Germany. Um, in other countries, when you work in long-term care, your responsibilities are much higher than here in Germany. So. It's not so interesting from their point of view to work in Germany with less responsibilities because um, when you look at the wages, they um, have gone up um, the last years. Um, Now, um, when it comes to remuneration, 
we have seen a lot of progress. Um, the remuneration of um, personnel in long-term care and in in hospitals um, has been above average. Yeah, in in the last year. So um, it's more for for long-term care. It's more of a problem that um, you have the competition of uh, hospitals who still pay more um, for. Um, their personnel than in long-term care. Mm -hmm. So you have a bit both problems. You have competition within Germany and you try to attract um, foreign personnel for long-term care. Um, yeah, um, I don't see uh, really um, a problem solver here. Um, yeah. I, I think we have to, to try and um, yeah. The, the thing is, with rising wages, you have rising costs um, and <laughs> they're the circle closest uh, to long-term care because then your out-of-pocket payments rise again. Um, but yeah, we, we have to make the job more attractive uh, in the hospital sector, um, maybe with the hospital reform that is planned now, um, the workload um, will be reduced. That is one of the hopes that we have uh, with this hospital reform yeah. pending. <laughs> And and oh, is yeah. this and you alluded to this? Uh, it, it may also mean a consolidation, a reduction in yes. the number of yeah. uh, of hospitals in yeah. order to better, more efficiently um, utilize the personnel. Yeah, um, that of course brings uh, its own you know, political and social uh, dislocations. Of course, of course, um, it's a sensitive issue. Because, um, yeah, people don't like hospital closings. Um, I think it's uh, really a topic for uh, adequate political communication because you could communicate that closing down one hospital in, uh, in a small uh, city doesn't mean that um, the provision of healthcare um, will, be, um, will be worse for people. Uh, it means that maybe they have to travel longer to the next hospital, but the quality should be better then because it's more specialized. And that's the whole idea um, of, of the reform uh, debate that we have at the moment, because um, I think I already, already said that when it comes to capacity in in the hospital sector, um, we are above average when you compare no, the number right. of beds and the number of personnel compared to other countries. We are above average, but the thing is that there's always a but. Uh, the quality um, isn't always convincing. Uh, we mm -hmm. have allowed hospitals to offer all kinds of treatments, even if they don't have the appropriate experience, staff levels, equipment, etc., to do so. Yeah, many cancer uh, patients aren't treated in hospitals with a tumor center. And if you don't have a tumor center, you don't have uh, the medical experience and um, uh, everything that you need. So the quality in hospitals without tumor centers will be lower than in specialized hospitals. Yeah. Yeah. Um you know, Germany has, uh, you know, perhaps unique uh, among um, many other countries, has a health minister who is mm. uh, himself a yeah. a, a, tra a trained uh, physician and yeah. uh, expert in uh, virology. If I'm uh, if I'm not mistaken, mm. um, uh, he's at the same time come under a lot of fire, uh, mm. uh, in part because of shortages in medications and so mm. forth. But um, what's the 
what's the situation around uh, around these factors now um, uh, at, at, as you look at the the confluence of German politics and uh, and public health? Yeah, um, yeah, Mr. Lauterbach um, is responsible, for example, for the introduction of diagnosis-related groups because he wasn't an advisor um, to the Ministry of Health when DRGs were introduced, and um, DRGs are only a part of the problem in, in the inpatient sector. And we will move to a more mixture of remuneration in the hospital sector, which uh, he has proposed now as a reform proposal. So, um, yeah, he is somebody who has been uh, active in, in the healthcare system for a long time as an advisor, as a professor. And uh, yeah, I think it's not the easiest position he's in because uh, we we have had those problems for a long time now, and it's not limited uh, to his term of office. Uh, so we have to stay fair that uh, not uh, um, every problem that we experience now, like the um, drug shortages, is uh, is a problem that he has created. Right. Yeah. Right. Well. Um... Professor Christina Ahrens, I want to thank you for taking time to shed some light on uh, the dynamics of the healthcare discussion, the healthcare policy in Germany, um, a mixed system in uh, one of uh, Europe's uh, oldest uh, countries uh, mm -hmm. uh, on average. Um, you, you've touched upon the question of means testing for uh, for critical or long-term care insurance and the role that might play and the overall problems of long-term care in an aging society. So I want to thank you for being with us um, and, and uh, enjoyed the conversation. And we will uh, uh, look forward to having all of our listeners with us again on the next episode of The Zeitgeist. Thanks for listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast produced by the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. Send us your feedback by email to info at AICGS.org or catch us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at AICGS. Don't forget to check out AICGS.org for more information from today's episode. Auf Wiederhören.